Today, my name is Carmen Ronnie. I'm a legal advisor with the Consumer Protection Department in Durban. Good day. My name is Ashton Naidu. I'm a legal advisor at the Consumer Protection and Poppy branch. Ashton, today we're going to be talking very briefly about the consumer's rights with regard to receiving good quality goods and services and goods and services that are free of any defect. And obviously, ancillary to this, the supplier's obligations in turn, in terms of actually supplying those goods to the consumers. So the introduction of the Consumer Protection Act has essentially sought to bridge the divide and create a balance between the consumer's rights and obviously the supplier's obligations. So perhaps just briefly, what does the Act actually say about good quality goods? So this is covered in terms of Section 55 of the Consumer Protection Act, which basically says goods should be reasonably suitable for the purpose for which it was intended, free from defects, usable and durable for a reasonable period of time, and ultimately must conform to the Standards Act. Section 56 also says that these provisions apply to transactions for goods and services, to all transactions rather, but for where the goods have been altered contrary to instruction. So based on that, what are the repercussions where goods do not conform to uh, Section 55? Very good question and I think quite pertinent because the landscape has been changed quite a bit with regard to warranties and the consumer's rights in terms of goods that are not quality goods or don't conform. So Section 56 essentially stipulates that where goods don't conform with the provisions of Section 55 of the Act or where goods are defective or not of a good quality or not suited to the purpose intended, then the consumer has certain rights within a six-month period. So six months from date of delivery or date of purchase, whichever is the later date, the consumer has the right, if goods do develop a defect, to return those goods to the supplier and claim a refund of the purchase price, a replacement of the item purchased, or a pair of the item purchased. Now, interestingly enough, this is at the election of the consumer and not the choice of the supplier, which prehistorically and pre-CPA, I think a lot of times suppliers would force the consumer's hand and say, well, I'm not going to give you your money back, but I'll fix it. That being said, obviously, if the consumer does choose to have a repair done, for example, and I think this would be more on bigger items, more complicated items, motor vehicles, for example, or equipment, rather than a a small item or a kitchen appliance that you're buying from a, a supplier. If the consumer does elect that repair, is there any further warranty or obligation on the supplier to give a further warranty on that actual repair? So this is covered in terms of Section 56.3 of the Consumer Protection Act, where it basically says that if any goods or components of such goods have been repaired and within a three-month period, if such failure, defect or unsafe feature exists or a further unsafe feature or defect comes about, then the supplier has to ultimately refund the consumer the full purchase price of that, alternatively replace that good for the consumer. Does the Act distinguish between new and used goods? In short, no, it doesn't. So if I am buying secondhand items or a new item from a supplier who ordinarily supplies those particular items, the Act will apply and your implied warranties will still stand even if the goods are used or secondhand. So if I'm buying a secondhand car from a dealership, for example, obviously that automatic six-month warranty is going to apply in terms of that item. There are certain exceptions to the rule. Obviously, if the supplier has 
expressly informed me that goods are in a specific condition. So again, with the example of the motor vehicle, if I have said to you, I'm going to give you X amount of discount on the secondhand car because the gearbox is broken and the consumer accepts the goods in that condition and accepts his discount, then obviously he won't be able to claim within the six month period with regard to that specific item. If, however, something else goes wrong within the six-month period, other than what's been disclosed, the act will then come back into play and you will revert back to your six-month warranty. And that being said, it needs to be an express disclosure. Can't rely on a blanket footstool clause anymore, which is basically saying, well, it's secondhand. I can't give you any warranties on it. The only other exception to the rule is obviously private to private sale. So if I'm selling to you and it's an online transaction or you and I sign a document to say, right, Ashton, here's your car. I'm not in the business of making money out of selling cars. So there, obviously, your footsteps would apply in terms of that. But that being said, the Act has kind of now created a little bit of a misconception out there with regard to consumers thinking that they can simply just return items without rhyme or reason, and the supplier just has to actually acquiesce. Anything that the Act says about this particular scenario? Sure. So that's covered in Section 20 of the Consumer Protection Act, which stipulates the rights to return by the consumer. So where, for example, the return is based on a change of heart or ultimately one of buyer's remorse, then the act or the right to return does not apply to that consumer. The supplier does have rights as well. So one can charge a restocking fee. For example, in the event that goods need to be restocked, so there is a charge that can be imposed where the goods have been partially used. Suppliers also have the rights of assessment. So basically, in order to determine whether the goods have a defect or a failure, the supplier would need to see whether that is as a result of the consumer's negligence or misuse, for example. Also, should the consumer have acted contrary to instructions, be it usage instructions or storage instructions, uh, then the Act obviously would not apply to that in terms of rights of return. And where, for example, explicit instructions were given. A good example would be if you buy a motor vehicle, as you used the example before, if you buy a motor vehicle from a dealership and the dealership tells you that you need to do regular service intervals. So every 20,000, you'd need to service your vehicle. In the event that you don't follow those instructions, any implied warranty or express warranty would be null and void uh, due to the negligence on the consumer themselves. On the flip side, suppliers have to make sure that they bring that knowledge to the consumer in a plain and understandable language. So that's further dealt with in Section 22 of the Consumer Protection Act. So basically, in in that regard, it's incumbent on suppliers to ensure that their terms and conditions are clear, they're unequivocal, understandable to the ordinary man on the street like you and I, and obviously that they have the correct sort of complaints policies and returns policies in place. But I do think that CISA consumer protection has played and can play a pivotal role in assisting suppliers to make sure that they are above board and that their T's and C's are compliant. Should anybody listening to this be interested in finding out more about our services, I would suggest that they pop onto our website or give our head office a call.